Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. All right. Yep. Shay Haver. Um, I am active duty army officer. Um, I'm currently stationed at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, uh, getting ready to attend the commanded general staff college here. So let's go back to August 21st, 2015. You and Kristen Grice became the first two women to ever graduate U.S. Army Ranger School. How did you get there? So like that is that is the day that is one big, big peak in your life. Tell us about that buildup. Was that a goal you had from childhood that you were fulfilling? Like it's one of the most difficult military trainings in the world. How did you do it? Uh, so I, I did grow up as an army brat. And I think that obviously that exposure introduced me to uh, even the desire to, to ask and learn about um, the military uh, in general. Um, I was, uh, I, I grew up during a time, you know, we, we affectionately call them army brats, but I grew up during a time where we were newly at, at war. I was 11 years old when 9-11 occurred. And my my father was quickly deployed after that. Um, and we saw as a family how uh, the community and the military and our nation changed, you know, due to those, uh, in response to those events. I wanted to know, uh, I think, if if women, you know, served, like had careers in, in the military, I asked my mom, I was probably about 12 years old. And you know, she was like, of course, there's, there's doctors, there's lawyers. My, my father was an aviator. He's like, there's aviators. Um, but I think that what I really wanted to know was if women could fight and lead in, in battle. Um, I ended up applying to go to the United States Military Academy at West Point. Um, and from there, I ended up commissioning uh, in 2012 as an aviator myself, following in, in dad's footsteps to his chagrin, I think. Um, and my first duty station was at Fort Carson, Colorado, following flight school, um, where I flew uh, H-64 uh, attack helicopters, Apache helicopters. While I was there, uh, headquarters department of the Army, uh, Alaract, which is this big message to the force that everyone can kind of see, came out in uh, 2014 saying that based off of the um, combat exclusionary clause, which is like kind of the traditional term that that we know was going to be lifted um, by the then Secretary of Defense, Leon Panetta. And so they were do, they were starting to do some things to introduce women uh, into um, different roles in the military. And because of um, the war on terror, there was you know, this idea that, you know, there was a more, you know, non-contiguous battlefield and that women were very much in harm's way and uh, not necessarily following, you know, old traditional law and exclusion policy, you know, for many good reasons. And so with that came kind of just the look into what uh, women were contributing, but then what they were needing to be prepared to do these roles um, better. And, and I mean, if we really think about it, survivability and those types of things as well. 
So I was a brand new lieutenant at Fort Carson when this came out, and uh, I was getting ready to do my first gunnery, which is a big deal as a platoon leader with all of my warrant officers breathing down my neck. I now have, you know, the ghost of my father, you know, that I'm trying to live up to. And uh, I was focused on that. And I read this thing and I'm just like, wow, that's that's a big deal. And I remember it too, just being like such a vague message. And in there it was like, you know, well, you know, it's basically a pilot thing. We don't know if even, you know, even if women were to pass, if they would be able to even wear the Ranger tab and like, what kind of deal is that? Right. So in my, I just, I remember sitting there at my desk in my, my office. Um, and, uh, I just, I, I literally said out loud to myself, I was like, that is badass, good for those girls. And like, to- like that's them. I'm over here. I got my stuff to do. And yeah, I just, I kind of let it go from there, but it was in, in my mind, obviously now I was aware that this thing was happening. So getting ready for uh, gunnery, we had a new uh, deputy commanding general at the time of fourth ID, um, uh, then Brigadier General George, who is uh, now General George and just nominated actually to be our, our service chief um, for the army. But he, he came out to meet our unit and it just happened to be because of gunnery and stuff. I think that he, he came out because he wanted to fly in an aircraft. And it happened to be my platoon. So everyone's on edge that day, making sure the aircraft are ready and everything. And um, just like any good battalion commander would, I'm, you know, I'm out on the flight line with my guys, make sure everything's good to go. And as he brings, you know, General George up, uh, he introduces me as, you know, a squared away lieutenant uh, and can hold my own in any PT event. And as he's extending his arm to shake my hand, he literally, he's, he's like, do you want to go to ranger school? And I like, I'm like, no, sir. Uh, you know, I'm like tripping over my words. I'm like so embarrassed, like that this would even, you know, be, be spoken about. But obviously what he didn't know at the time, I mean, he planted a seed and what he didn't know was, you know, he, he changed my life that day. So um, in the coming weeks, I did in past, uh, I did in fact pass gunnery, thank goodness, because that was my immediate target. I had to get down my battalion commander and I had a conversation and, and he told me, you know, he's like, I don't think General George was joking. You know, I think that you need to go. Um, and try this thing. And um, I think that that really speaks to, you know, there are, there are leaders out there that see things in us that we don't necessarily see, or that we're, uh, that we don't know is there and that potentially we don't know, you know, that we're capable of doing. And I was so grateful um, that he brought it up again, because I probably wouldn't have. Um, and so I ended up doing our, our pre-ranger training that 4th ID put on, uh, many units were putting that on around that time um, anyway, um, but specifically for the women who were interested in going to ranger school, they needed to create this um, order of merit list or OML. And so I did the training and I was still very, you know, I'm, I'm again, brand new platoon leader. We're, we're gear, gearing up to mobilize, to go to the national training center in California. I'm excited. We're going to get to shoot hellfire missiles. I'm like, I'm so game. Like, this is my job. This is, I'm so excited. We, we mobilize, we go. And, and while I'm there, I, I find out that I made the OML and I just, I remember like, oh, well, that's okay. Thank you. I'm at NTC and not really, you know, interested. And my battalion commander called me and he's like, Shay, you didn't like just make like the girl OML. You were number one on the the OML for the division and you're going. <laughs> and so this was like another opportunity where, you know, like the, like being at the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time. Right. And, and so I had to make a decision in my mind, whether I was going to own it or not, you know, for myself. And I know I needed, I knew that I was going to need to buy in completely in order to be successful. Um, so I left there, you know, kind of, you know, a pit in my stomach and kind of this weight on my shoulders. And, uh, I went and 
really, I mean, I, I honestly, I really had to come to terms, I think with a lot of like mental stuff that was going on and personal stuff that was going on. And, and I decided I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to put everything in storage. I'm going to pack my car. I'm going to drive my dog to my parents and I'm going to drive, you know, across from Colorado across the United States to Fort Benning, Georgia. And I'm not coming back until I get my tab. And that was the type of attitude that I just was like, I can't have any doubt in my mind that I'm committed uh, to this experience and opportunity. Um, and so I went. Wow. Okay. This story is insane, especially when you said that there are moments that can change your life. You know, that moment, that handshake, that introduction, that alignment of the right people, right time, right seed to plant in your brain. And then the leaders who see things in us that we sometimes don't see in ourselves and that encouragement to, to go all in, which you ultimately did on your goal. So what was your training like before this, that, that he was able to say like, oh, she can hold her own in PT. Like, were you just a Um, monster out there? Like runner, (laughs) lifter, pull-ups, like what was, what was your fitness like before that? Yeah. So I showed up to West Point, probably like 115, 20 pounds, like soaking wet, but like I was a soccer player. Um, so I had, I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't army PT ready. I was an athlete and that's what I knew. I could barely pass sit-ups if you can believe it, believe it getting into West Point. And that was like my point of contention. I was like, oh gosh, I'm going to fail sit-ups. And so I took a lot, like my entire time through West Point, I, a lot of trial and error, but I, I wanted to take an opportunity of being at an institution like that to prepare myself because unlike any other uh, school that you go to, even the RTC programs, there's no guarantee. But when you leave West Point, like you are a leader, you're commissioned to the United States Army as an officer in charge of our nation's most precious resource, the, the sons and daughters of our country. And I took that again, there's like this heaviness, right. That, that kind of comes from that. And so part of that was like, I, I need to prepare myself mentally, physically, I need to prepare myself, you know, in, in leadership and, and in my tactics and those types of things. And so I, so I took that seriously and I'm sure, uh, even like thinking back on it, like there's definitely times where I would, you know, I'd be very, you know, I, I think, I don't know what the pe- people would use as a term, but like, I was just, I was very into the army stuff. And, and I'm glad that I was during that time. I was 17 years old when I went to West Point. I didn't know what life was or anything else. I had to go there and learn everything. And so I took that really seriously there and in uh, a couple of things. So I got into, uh, I ended up ultimately not playing soccer and that was like a huge change for me. And I knew I needed to find something else that was going to push me and challenge me, but do something different. So develop myself in different ways. And I ultimately ended up choosing to do an endurance sport because I hadn't really gone, you know, for long periods of time doing things. I got in, uh, involved in our triathlon club and uh, I, I really fell in love with that sport. I do it today. It's my my hobby. Uh, that's what I love to do. Um, but I, I also realized like I didn't, I lacked a lot of upper body strength that I wasn't aware of that I needed. And so I also joined our rock climbing club and our strength and conditioning club. So I had like, I could have never orchestrated this in any purposeful way. But what I was thinking about was the things that I was weak in or things that I needed to develop in myself. And I found different experiences and unique ways to develop those weaknesses. The rock climbing 
obviously gave me the upper body abilities and, um, grip strength that I, that I needed through, um, and I have used throughout my career, but it ended up being very important in ranger school, um, lifting and really actually getting into the gym and properly lifting and what that looks like and what functional fitness is versus what, you know, a CrossFit or, or those types of things, like really, truly understanding what your what you need your body to be able to do sustainably, including range of motion and all of those things, stability and, and so I got that baseline foundation and, um, and I carried it with me as a Lieutenant and, and, and into my unit. And so, um, I think probably what my battalion commander at the time was alluding to is, is yeah, I took my PT like tests very seriously. That's like a very objective test that tells you what you can do and get the score that you want. And if I want this top score, then I'm going to do this many pushups and I'm going to run this fast. And I'm going to do these things. So I could train to that test. Um, and, and I took that seriously, but I didn't want to lose my well-roundedness. So often I would, I would do PT before PT and then I would do PT with my soldiers. And then uh, if we had, um, like, uh, a lot of, uh, leaders like to do leader development time during PT hour. So there's little competitions and the, you know, those types of things. And I, I enjoyed them and I was athletic. And so, uh, I was, I was able to compete with my peers and, and hold my own. So I think that's probably where he generally got it from, but I had a confidence about myself from being physically prepared. I think that, that, that also, um, kind of set a tone for how somebody would describe me in that way. Yeah. Well, you, you spoke so much to that confidence and that preparedness and taking it seriously and creating the, the body, the mindset, the tools, the learnings that you needed in order to get where you wanted to go. And whether you knew it at 17 or not, you were so intentional about the three sports you chose triathlon, weightlifting, and rock climbing. We're going to make you that well-rounded soldier that was necessary to like, and then compete at the highest level inside the army. So you were definitely creating the path to success for yourself and really exemplifying that discipline. And I think that's something for us as we're hearing Shay talk, like that's a real gut check on like, have you stayed curious? Have you thought about where some of your shortcomings are that you might need to like upskill or level up? And, you know, to your point, these were fun things for you too. So it wasn't a punishment. Like you've carried triathlon into your everyday. And now it's sort of this side hustle hobby for you to like have this competitive side going, which is also awesome. So there's just like so many leaderful moments described in that pathway that I just wanted to make sure to highlight for the listeners and just, you know, really take that gut check. Like, are you doing everything you can be doing? Cause I think inside you, you know, <laughs> you know, if you're fully yeah. prepared or not. So, okay. So you do it, you get to ranger school, you score number one on the OML and they're like, you're going, you go all in store your stuff, drop off your dog. What is this training like? And how did it feel to be a woman in the training after this, the, the barrier was lifted to let you in. Yeah. So I think, uh, I want to address like so many things in there, but I think what is important is that I decided along with the commitment early on, before I even put myself in these scenarios, um, that I was never going to let it be a, a woman thing. It was going to be a, me being my best, you know, self thing. And so, I decided before I even went and, and for sure there were times where 
you know, that there were things that happened because I was one where I could tell it was, you know, there, there was that situation. I would always give the benefit of the doubt and I would never own that. And I think that that I have carried that with me into all of the positions and jobs that I've been in. And, and most of them, I have been, you know, the, the only woman in the room um, for many, you know, for many of those things. And so um, that, that was a huge, I think, a game changer because the, the mentality was that I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a victim and I'm not at a disadvantage. Um, I am as prepared as I can be as myself with my physiology and my uh, training, you know, my training like mentally and physically, and, and I'm going to do the best thing I can do with that. The training, um, I, I did a lot of, of little things like on my own, but, but what they prepared us for beforehand were things as. Uh, you can imagine an aviator is not necessarily as like up on. So like land navigation, like I obviously have been land, I've been navigating from the sky for the past, you know, several years. And so getting just reboot and those things are like perishable skills anyway. So doing that repetitively was important. I took it seriously. Every time I was out there, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just getting a task done, that I was reminding myself of what the principles behind that thing was. I could replicate it and I could do it in an environment when I was stressed and tired and those types of things. The other thing was being under load. I obviously as an aviator, wasn't walking around, I was flying. And so doing that, uh, having a rucksack on my back, standing constantly, having extra weight on me was something I had to prepare beforehand. We did that in our pre, you know, training courses. And then, um, we, all the women were required to go to the pre-ranger training course that is at Fort Benning run by the national guard before we were even permitted. So it was like, there were like these three gates that we had to go through in order to get to that point, to get to, you know, day one or day zero. And um, those gave me all types of different information to use um, moving forward. And, and most of it was that training under load uh, for longer periods of time was something that I needed to do, not just for my hip stability and those things that maybe I um, wasn't used to or lacking like physically um, from, from fitness or whatever, and just probably um, anatomically and my physiology are just different than the, than the men. And so I had to just learn the little nuances, like setting up my ruck a different way to make sure that it wasn't rubbing my hips or whatever it was to make sure that I could still do the task to standard um, for, for me, for my body. And, and those were little things I got to learn along the way. Um, so a lot of the prep kind of looked like that. Yeah. Well, again, and approaching that very intelligently, strategically, and really setting yourself up for success and with the right mindset, you know, you earned that spot. It wasn't uh, something to challenge the norms or challenge the new, you know, the new entry point. It was, you had the scores. All right, let's go and let's go and do it. Your name's on the paper, the same as everybody else. So you make it through, you make it in, you make it through the three gates, you make it in, you go through ranger school. How long is it? Uh, it is supposed to be about 62, 64 days. I recycled the first phase, same as Kristen, three times. We did that three times. So we were there from uh, April until August 21st. Uh, so a long time and your body does a lot of things to you and there's a lot of changes going on throughout that entire time. So uh, I was essentially 
I was there for as much as it would have taken for me to go through like that whole thing two times. So I did the first phase, which is called Darby phase at, uh, at, at Fort Benning, um, at camp Darby. And then, um, uh, I did that three times and then we went to mountains in Delonica and then down to Florida for swamps. And I was, we both kind of went, um, through those first time goes, but I was, I was convinced that we were going to do every phase three times. So mentally I was just preparing myself. I was like, whatever it takes kind of deal. <laughs> So you made it like, what did it feel like for you two at the end? I think, I mean, I learned a lot about myself, but I also learned a lot about my peers there. The course does a lot. I mean, we call it, it's the premier leadership school in the world. I think, I mean, it is, everyone knows about it throughout, you know, and and when they see the tab, they understand to a certain extent what that, what that means and what you've, what you've gone through. There's, you know, uh, there is a saying that, that, you know, tab, tabbed individuals say that it's um, the tab is something that we bear, not something that we wear. Anybody can have it, but it's it's your character. It is the things that you learned. It's the leadership that you carry with you and demonstrate an example throughout your um, experience that that really makes the difference. And so I think that you know part part of it. Uh, there was a lot that went into pre- preparing. Um, going in, especially as an aviator. Um, I, I was there because I wanted to be a better aviator. I wanted to understand what the guys on the ground were doing so that I could communicate with them and support them the best way that I knew how there's three, you know, reasons that you can get kicked out of ranger school. One is, um, is like spot reports, like meaning you're terrible at attention to detail, or you're just not getting it. Um, and, and you gotta go the, the most important reason though, is if you get peered, and in your peer reviews, at the end of each phase, you get asked two questions. Would you go to war with this person or would you share a foxhole with this person? And to be able to know confidently that I received my tab as a collective with these individuals that had along the way assessed my character and my ability and my all it when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when they're tired and hungry, all of these factors that come into play that I was the type of person, I was a person that they would be willing to do those things with. And that is, that, that is empowering. Um, that is emboldening. And so, uh, so getting to graduation day, understanding now I, I, I want to bear this tab well in a unit where, especially in aviation, it's not, it's not pronounced. It's not normal necessarily. They do have them, but you know, a lot of years don't go. And so now I, I get to bring an experience. I get to bring uh, what I've learned and I get to bear what I've learned from these men that I've gone through the school with to that unit and teach them to better support these guys that are, are so important, you know, to me. And now I, I can, I can be enmeshed with that. I understand that I can share that um, experience. So, so I, I feel like it was, it was like this bittersweet thing. I had been there forever. So of course I was relieved to be done, but I knew that the job was just to begin, right. Just like when I graduated from West point, I was happy to be done with school, but I look, I'm looking forward to this now career of responsibility, uh, and taking ownership and, uh, being a leader, uh, and what that means. And to be honest, if, if, if you, uh, you could think of it one or two ways. And one of the ways could be like, that could be crushing or you could just not care. And I think I chose to, to be more on the, not the crushing side, but taking it seriously um, and, and having to navigate what that pressure was going to look like moving forward, especially as a first. Yeah. A first is, is a big deal, but you got there because of your positive peer evals. So that had to have been so 
like there was no self-doubt at the end because you made it that far because the people that you were training with said, yes, this, this person can do it too. It wasn't, she can do it. It was this person I will share a foxhole with, I will go to war with you. And that has just got to be the most incredible feeling. And you carry that forward now supporting in the army, all, all of people around you and you're also looking at a bigger picture that, to show younger girls that there's a role for them in the military and that they belong. So where does this passion come from and how do you put it into action and how does this mission fuel you? I think that this one, like I was, I was reading like the questions ahead of time and I was like, oh man, I think that the word belonging is tough. I feel like it's talked about a lot um, these days for sure. Fortunately or unfortunately, I was told by someone very close to me kind of recently, but uh, over the last couple of years that they were really proud of me for all my successes, despite being somewhere that I didn't belong. And I, it caught me off guard um, because I didn't ever think about the fact that I didn't belong, like not even from the beginning. And this is also despite, I mean, it, my father wasn't um, necessarily the most supportive of all the things that I had chosen to do in the military. He wanted me probably to get my, my, my brothers in the air force. He wanted me to go have a better life, go do something better than me, go do, you know, take, take a, a different path. Um, and, and I think so all along the way, even with that stuff in my mind, I think it was just, I was always trying, I was always pursuing like excellence to the best of my ability, whatever my potential is. And I found places that may be ab abnormal interests uh, for, you know, you know, culturally or traditionally or socially or whatever that is, that I found that I was, that I was good at uh, and that I enjoyed. And I, and I chose to, to do that. And it didn't come without its struggles for sure, but I appreciated hard work. And what I found um, especially in the military, was that commitment and, and hard work and, and humility makes so much difference and it's valued there. And so if that's who I am and I found a place where I fit, I didn't feel like I didn't belong. It was tough, but I, I didn't feel that way. And so I think that, you know, it's easy for people to become discouraged in places where they don't see people that look like them. I think it's easy for them to feel like they don't belong when they're not necessarily, uh, when their image of something doesn't pan out to be what they thought it was going to be, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't belong. And so, I, and, and I think that there were, like we've already talked about some of the physical things that I did to prepare myself. I think that there's, there are things that you can do to prepare yourself mentally and there's things that you can do um, to build your competencies, to make yourself more prepared um, to do to do that work. And so, yeah, I'm super passionate about sharing the experience that I've had with other women who may not have ever even thought of it being an option for them, but they might very well be the right person for the job so that they can be exposed to something new and different and taught and told that just because you look different doesn't mean that, you know, that you, that you aren't exactly what that unit or these people need, especially in those moments because we live and breathe in a human organization the army unlike any other service or a branch mostly like our, our other branches like we're we're centered on the human being like we are the weapon system we are what makes uh our units and so having that human dynamic is is super important and we we can't forget that and that means we need everybody we need you know diversity and thought we need all types of uh of people and backgrounds to be able to make the system work effectively and, and to the best of its potential. Um, and, and so I, I, I appreciate being, having the ability from 
from this position now, like having walked through it, inviting other women in, telling them that they belong and encouraging them to stick it out because it is hard work and it takes a lot of humility. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you touched on there, like the difficulty with the word belong, because when you say belong, it means that there, there could be a thought that you don't. And you're saying the army is this human organism that needs all types of people. You need that diversity. And that is so true. But I think that the saying you can't be what you can't see rings true. And we need leaders like you with the grit and determination and willpower and confidence to break those barriers to show the rest that it is possible. And so it's wonderful that you are a beacon for that who still has her head down working so hard, but you know, you're, you're picking your eyes up to say like, come on, like you can come to like, there's, there's space for all of us. And you did mention earlier that Ranger School is is the top tip of the spear leadership training in the world. So uh, share with us, if, if we could be so bold to ask your three biggest leadership lessons that you've learned. The best way that I can sum it up, so because I could tell probably a bunch of different <laughs> stories. And I've learned so much. Uh, I, I honestly, like I can't, and I'll never be done learning. That's the, you know, that's the other thing. But um, I, I kind of, I end up necking these down into kind of four, four bends. And there's, it's so important to have confidence in what you're doing. And I really, truly believe that that is built through building competency and consistency uh, in, in what you're doing and, and who you show up as the, the character that you're, that you bring with you, uh, and that you continue to develop over your lifetime is, is super important, especially in this, you know, human sport, um, that we just talked about. I've been able to, uh, overcome a lot of, uh, like, uh, interpersonal challenges by bringing things back to professionalism in a lot of ways. And because I am consistent in my professionalism, I am able to find the common ground necessary to accomplish whatever task is, is required of us. Do I make the perfect decision every time? No, there isn't, you know, a perfect decision. Do I invite people into the space to give their feedback? Absolutely. Uh, And then I'm not only building my like confidence in myself, but I'm, I'm helping others build their confidence and confidence in our, in our, in our unit, in our cohesion, in our ability to tackle those, those problems and build those teams together. And I think that that that's super important. And then I invite I invite people into that same space. Hey, I'm constantly learning and growing. I'm constantly building my character. I'm inviting you into that space to do the same thing. And I want you to bring your personality. I want you to bring your your passions, your hopes and dreams. I want you to bring that into this organization because you you may have something that somebody else is lacking that we need to get that mission done. And so there's it's this total person concept in in um that leadership is not devoid of what, like, we can't just show it. Like we're not a bunch of robots. You don't have your family life separate from your work life. We've tried for generations to do that and it doesn't work. So you have to have this, this understanding at least. And there's times when we get the mission done and you have to compartmentalize and that's got to be set aside for later, but we never just ignore it and never address it. Um, uh, because that doesn't, that doesn't help the unit. That doesn't help the mission ultimately, but it definitely doesn't help the individuals. 
So I know that that's kind of like a, a splattering, but there's so many probably different scenarios from those four, you know, key things that I've carried with me as, as a leader, that confidence building, the competencies that come from consistent behavior and your character. So, so detrimental, I think, to your ability to lead well and to invite other people into that space to, to help develop other leaders well. I think that was one of the best ways that I've heard authenticity described in leadership with bringing your whole self, constantly learning, growing your character, bringing your hopes and dreams, thinking of authentic self in that those terms for what it can bring. It was a phenomenal description. So that was incredible. Thank you for sharing with that. So what do you think that leaders are lacking today? And what what is the step to upskill? I know we talked about constantly learning, but what what advice do you have? Yeah, I think it's 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 a combination because I think I see people overwork. Uh, so the working hard, you can't just work hard, and you can be you can mistake humility for never you know forcing yourself through you know the gate. Like diamonds are made under pressure, you've got to push yourself. You know past what you think sometimes you're capable of and be be willing to fail forward in a lot of ways. So I, I think it's like this combination of working hard and humility and not being afraid to fail. And I know that's like, it's such a, it's an easy thing to say, and it's a hard thing to do. Uh, it's just like, you know, none of, none of the things that I've talked about are hard things they're simple things or they're, you know, not complex things, they're simple things, but they, but they're difficult. Um, there's, there's, uh, I think that we are far too worried about what other people are always, you know, thinking about us. And, and so sometimes that you, you mentioned authenticity, then we're not being true to who we are. And so we're even misevaluating our skills and abilities, and we aren't focusing probably on what we're good at. And we're constantly striving to fix the things that potentially we're not good at. And, and and maybe we could be a whole lot more um, consistent where we would like to be if we could we could marry up what we're good at and where we're at a whole lot easier. So I just I think it's this combination of working hard and being humble and humble to the point of being willing to fail forward, uh, mm -hmm. learning obviously from the failure, not just failing and staying where you are um, at growing. And and there's so much uh, I, I think that leaders can gain I think from that, but. I've definitely seen it. I've, I've seen so many things, what humility can do to bring people together um, in units and just like that transparency and vulnerability that uh, there's a clear distinction between people who are and people who are not. Uh, I was I was in junior ROTC in high school. And I remember um, my instructor telling me, he's like, there's a what separates good leaders from great leaders is humility. And I remember like thinking on that and probably when I was that age, I thought, you know, being humble was like thinking less of yourself and, you know, like being kind of in the background and what I, I think in my maturity, what I found is it's not thinking of, you know, yourself less than it's just think it's putting other people first. It's thinking of yourself less, not less than. And, and yeah, when we're not as worried about how our image is and the way that we look, but getting the right hard work done, we're a lot more capable. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. 
I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadershipisfemale, all one word, to get 15% off. Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. I don't know about you, but I love learning more about myself. If there's a quiz out there to help me better understand who I am, I'll take it. If there's a journal prompt, I'm using it. But how about a business that helps female leaders communicate effectively while inspiring confidence and trust in those you want to impact? Sign me up. Breakthrough Brands is unlocking clarity for women leading progress. They build leadership brands for women to discover what inspires them, define what drives them, and unlock how to share their brands with others. Do you want to gain clarity on your personal brand? Shoot me a note at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com or on Instagram, and we will introduce you to the women who will help you unlock your leadership brand. That's BreakthroughBrands.com. So well put, not thinking of yourself as less than, just less. If you're thinking of yourself less, then you're worrying less about what other people think of you. And then as a leader, in turn, you're able to be more humble. You're able to fail, acknowledge those failures, get up, try again. And the example that sets for those underneath you is that, hey, we can't achieve perfection in everything we try to do. It's simply impossible. But if we could be honest in our failures, we're all going to be better moving forward. And in the in your case, that could mean life or death. I mean, you can't cover up something that has gone wrong or that you fail that because it could mean something very final for somebody else. If you're not willing to share that you messed up, right? Like that's a very extreme example, but that's very real for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough. And that comes that is so heavy. Like normally we're talking about that in terms of, you know, the corporate environment in the workplace. But when we're talking about these jobs in the military, the severity is amplified by an immeasurable number because you can't measure the value of human life. Even while being in livelihood. Yeah. The decisions that you make, That's you know, true. Yeah. it doesn't have to do with life and death in the moment because we're not at war or whatever it is. Yeah. Your decisions affect someone every time and it is weighty. So humility takes a huge like role in that and in making sure the right decisions are made and when they're not, they're addressed and that's okay. So I love to ask this question and I'm curious if this is going to be an obvious answer or not, but what's the biggest hurdle you've had to overcome? It's probably not, you know, obvious because I think a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like it's something at ranger school, right? Or something yeah. like that <laughs> so many ranger school stories. But um, I knew, you know, part of my 
my having to get my mind right to go to ranger school was that um, I am, you know, there, black and white. I was either going to be able to meet the physical requirements and and pass my patrols and be, have, you know, meet the objective standard uh, or I wasn't. So the only thing that I could control and I had to learn that like was myself, my thoughts, my attitudes, my emotions, my behaviors. That was the only thing that I could control. And I knew um, because of um, some family and personal stuff that I was going through that my mind was going to be the thing that could derail me um, from that whole thing. And so um, I, I, I do share this with people. There's um, I ended up working with, um, we have a, we had master resiliency trainers on post and I was so grateful that I had discovered them. And again, I feel like it was a right time at the right, you know, right place at the right time scenario. And um, we had the conversation, you know, uh, about where those things were coming from, but what I could be doing, what mental skills, what type of resilience, mental resilience skills I could do, you know, leading up to and through a lot of those hard, hard things I knew I was going to encounter. Um, and I didn't want to sabotage myself. I didn't want to train so hard and be physically ready and able to objectively pass whatever, and then deny myself the opportunity because I was getting in my way or not allowing myself to succeed. So, uh, one of those things was, um, kind of silly, but come, you know, two, well, two of them are kind of silly, but uh, coming up with my why, you know, the Simon Sinek, what's, you know, what's your why? Um, and for me going as an aviator, like I said, it was, it was uh, simply at that time before anything else, it was like, I, I, I literally want to be the, you know, the best pilot I can be to be able to support the ground soldiers. I remember selecting my airframe um, at flight school and, and, you know, after having gone through, you know, 12 months of all this stuff and, and thinking like I chose an attack helicopter because I want to do bad things to the bad people that are doing bad things to my people. Like that was, I, I wanted to be able to fight back. And if I want to fight back well, and I want to um, do my job well, like this is an opportunity that those soldiers, they deserve for me to be trained in this way. I may not feel like I deserve to go there, but they deserve for me to be as highly trained as I can possibly be. So they be, they were my why. And all throughout Ranger School, I picked up whys all along the way. And it ended up being for my Ranger buddies, you know, to my left and right. And it just constantly been, you know, it, it just became apparent to me that my why was always outside of me. If I ever let it be inside of me, then I was not, you know, that there was never going to be enough fuel to the fire. Uh, and so it had to be about others. And, and I'm really grateful that I was able to put myself in a scenario like that to learn that. The other was uh, establishing a mantra, something that I could fall back on when uh, my literally you're, you know, hallucinating from being completely tired and not, you know, not sleeping and, and not eating and those things. And, and yeah, my scenario that I was in, I, I didn't know if I would ever get the opportunity ever to do this again. And if I failed ranger school, I didn't know if women in general, not me particularly, but if women weren't able to pass, if women would ever be allowed to go to this course again. So I determined in my mind that everything I was going to do, I was going to do it like it was the la the only and last opportunity that I would ever have. And so every time, like it's the last time was like my like mantra when I did get that sleepy and tired and, and hungry, uh, it ended up digressing to just the word one. I knew I could always do one more push up. I could always walk one more mile. I could always do one more day, whatever that meant. And, and just use that continuously throughout the time um, that I was there. And, and I mean, those, those things, 
fueled me the entire time. Um, and I think that was extremely, um, helpful, um, for me to be able to do that. Um, and, and, re and reach back from already having known that maybe I was going to be kind of my, my biggest problem, you know, going into that scenario. And I think it does speak to that whole, that belonging or, you know, that, um, my confidence. And I had, I very rarely do people get to put, get put into positions or experiences that completely stretch and, and put them to their limits. And I knew every day that I got to stay at Ranger school, I knew that I was getting an opportunity to do that and learn myself and learn my potential and on all of these things. And, and that, that was incredible. And I, and I, I was very grateful for that the entire time that I was there, no matter, you know, even if I ended up not getting my tab, I knew that it was something I could carry with me. I love that you shared the master resiliency training, those two, two pieces, find your why, which I talk about all the time. Like, why do you do what you do? If you don't have a reason, you can't get up early. You can't stay up late. You can't go the extra mile. Like it's just impossible. So well thought out. And then establishing a mantra uh, is also incredibly important. And I'm sure that your mantra and your why can evolve and grow as you experience like different situations in your life. But then going back to just that genesis of like, okay, find the why. And then what is the mantra when times get really tough that I can remind myself to, to keep pushing and get over those big hurdles, both metaphorical and actual, um, that I'm sure you had to, uh, overcome. Yeah. So I've used not just those mantras or whatever, but I learned what I used to overcome so many other things similarly. And most always it has to do with reminding myself what the controllables are. And I've learned three things. I can't control old stuff. I can't control outcomes in the future and I can't control anyone else. And so focusing on what I can control is, has been, uh, incredibly helpful, um, to put me back, you know, in inside of myself to be able to decide, you know, is this the direction that I want to go? Is this something that I need to continue to develop those types of things? So yeah, it's, it, it's, that's a continue. I think the mental piece has been something that I have continuously had to overcome in different various jobs or increased responsibility or whatever that is, new scenarios, relationships, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Cause we're always growing, evolving, changing, you know, taking on new things. When you and I first connected, you were experiencing another move. So it's an, it's another new for you, you know, sort of framing what, what that is going to be for you with your, your new assigned task. And it's clear that you have found a way to develop your confidence and your self-belief by upskilling, understanding what your competencies are, where they lack and how to grow those, being consistent, um, working on your character. Like, where does that all come from? Like, how, how are you predisposed and predispositioned to like, think that way and succeed in that way? I, I am a firstborn. I think I have a propensity in my like personality that I'm very, uh, like I love discipline and responsibility. That's a weird thing to say, but it's something that like, that's part of my character. That's part of who I am. And before I was like, I wanted to hide that, or that's embarrassing or don't show that. And like, that is what makes me successful. I, I like to be detail oriented. I, I like to have a plan, not because I have to follow the plan, but because now I have something to deviate from or, um, or, or I can put something that is not in my control into my control. And, and, I think I mentioned it before. It's that it's that desire to pursue excellence and understand what my potential is. 
Um, and I think that there are so many fiery people out there that literally just need to be invited into that space. We have heroes, superheroes all around us. And sometimes they just need to be told it is okay to try something that is you think is beyond you and fail forward into something that you you may not even be prepared for, but you are but you are the right person at the right time. You have the characteristics that we need to to lead us and to pave something new so that many people can come behind you. Um, so at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about what you are contributing to the bigger picture. And I've always carried that with me. There's like this, I, I'm, I'm a recent grad student, um, so so forgive me on these big words, but like having agency and believe that the belief that you can change the world. Like I don't know necessarily where that comes from inside me, but I I feel like I've I've taken ownership of the piece that I've been given, so that I can continue to move that that boulder forward, right? And and many will come and push it with me and and continue to push it past me, you know, in the in the years and days and months to come. Oh, I love that. Has it ever wavered? Like, has your confidence, has the self-belief, I know it's in your character as, as a firstborn discipline order, like pursuing excellence, but like, is there ever a time where that has wavered and how did you get through it? Yeah. Uh, yes, a lot, a lot more probably than I would like to admit. Um, but I mean, I've, I've established routines for myself. I think that, um, it is important to mention like that. I, I really do, um, rely a lot on my faith. That is, has always been uh, something very central to me. Um, I think that there's definitely something about the ability to have hope, um, to never, um, just accept the circumstances the way that they are, that there can always be something different, um, that you can do that you can always do something. Um, and it may not look like what you thought it was, but to be able to adapt, uh, and to do that, I think that, yeah, that, that self-efficacy believing that you can, um, overcome things or that you can do things is really, yeah, a, a fuel. And so I have to remind myself, of, I have to remind myself of that often and that I don't have to have all the answers, mm -hmm. everything that I just said about failing. I have to remind myself often that it, you know, that, that I think we'll get to this, my favorite quote, but, um, like just as much as a failure is not final or failure is not fatal. Success is not final either. We just keep moving forward. Um, and we can't, um, we can't let our lives be defined by what happens to us. It's how we respond to those things. It is clear you are an achiever. That is no doubt. So what do you do for fun besides triathlons, which I'm sure you've got a whole metal case of, the, of, of those. Um, I, I really, I, so I do triathlon as my one thing. It's my one thing that I get to go and enjoy being outside and nature. And I am the most competitive person with myself. And, um, which is so odd. Everybody like, oh, I would expect as an achiever, like you're constantly like looking, who do I have to beat? And this is not to say that there's not other great people like that, that I get interested in by what they're doing or whatever, but like my, my biggest competition is always me. Um, and so triathlon is the one thing that I give my, myself permission to just enjoy. And so, uh, and, and it's made me, um, decent at each of those sports, but I'm not an expert on any of those things. That's why it's my hobby. Right. And, but it gets me outside. Um, I love being outside hiking, uh, open water swimming is not my favorite, but it's part of the deal. So, uh, so I navigate that. I don't know. I, I enjoy being around my family and my friends and, um, and, in reading. And I, 
I guess, learning because I recently, I put myself through grad school while working full-time job over this last year. So not advisable, but the point was like, I was super interested and I, I thought I had the time to, to dig deep into something that, um, that I really was passionate and cared about, which was resilience, uh, by the way, uh, I ended up, uh, studying positive psychology because performance psychology and all that it has done, um, for me and my experience is something that I want to be able to speak, you know, from a position of, evidence-based, you know, practices and those types of things to be able to share, um, with others. And so that is, that has been kind of, you know, there's, um, I'm going to forget the name of the book right now, but, um, there's a, there's a part, there's a, there's a point in our lives when not, we don't plateau, but we become more mature and in the fulfillment that we get from achieving isn't as sweet anymore. And so when that changes, the, the best way for us to turn then is to teach others what we have learned um, behind us. And I think that that has definitely been um, the cases I've pursued, um, you know, sharing my experiences as a, as a teacher, as a coach, as a mentor, you know, to a lot of the junior leaders that are coming behind me and uh, being able to, to, to do that now from, from the education that I've received, but also from the experience, I think gives a lot of um, extra extra to them that I didn't have. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad I get to do that now. Yeah, that's awesome. So triathlon, but we, we got a little, a little slice of, uh, of extra achievement in there with your masters, but it sounds like that's something you are intensely interested in and fuels more of your leadership skills, um, in your job. I, okay. So final four questions. What is the best piece of advice for women to apply today to level up tomorrow. Stay humble and work hard. Where are you traveling to next? Colorado. I recently had double knee surgery. That's not an achievement thing. I definitely needed to get that done. Um, and I am excited to do uh, a two-day back-to-back hike trip with my brand new niece. Nice. Okay. What's your pump-up song? Uh, I was thinking about, this is a fun question. Um, I listened to on repeat while I was driving from Colorado to Georgia for Ranger school. It's called um, Say I Won't by Lecrae. Love it. Okay. And then finally, what is your favorite quote? There's so many. Like I Honestly, I can think of uh, so many that were helpful, especially during that time where I was preparing myself and, and along the way, but I, but I really do, I've, I've held on to the one that I mentioned earlier, which is, um, that failure is, is not final and, or failure, failure is not fatal. I'm sorry. And success is not final. Um, we never arrive. We just keep going. Mm -hmm. And it's really that resilience training that's going to keep you going after the big success. That's, that's what we really need to focus on. I think in a lot of, a lot of cases you reach your pinnacle, then what's next. And you've got to constantly be working, looking forward and seeing how you can contribute. And for you, I think the case was who can you serve? And in those answers, you found your purpose and, um, these amazing leadership skills that you've shared with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. This was an incredible episode and we know that you will continue to succeed and we can't wait to one day read your book <laughs> and learn more um, from you on a more public scale when, uh, when one day you retire from the army and, and they let go uh, an all-star like you. Thanks, Emily. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, leadership is confidence, competence, and consistent character. Number two, 
the best leaders recognize and acknowledge the things they see in the individuals they lead that those individuals do not see in themselves. Number three, don't be afraid to fail. Be humble. What separates good leaders from great leaders is humility. Humility is not thinking of yourself as less than. It's just thinking of yourself less. And number four, develop skills in the areas where you are weak that you know you must improve. Confidence is preparedness. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at leadershipisfemale. Now, take this lesson and run. Let's go. Let's go.